device with your Bible, let's hold it up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. It can save lives, heal broken hearts, and bring people out of darkness. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, be like David. And then look back at them and say, and I love you. We don't hear enough that we're loved, amen? Especially in this day and age, everybody's in such a hurry. Such a hurry to be somewhere and we're not even sure where we're going. (laughs) Um, Any of you seen the movie Noah yet? Were you just excited beyond excitement? With the theme of the movie? I didn't think so. (laughs) I did not know in the Genesis account that they were called rock people. I I didn't know that. Sure, you can go see it if you like. But if if the reviews are what they say they are, and those that have seen it have have at least reported, uh, I like what one preacher said. He said he went to see it. He said, all I can say is the popcorn was really pretty good. (laughs) So, you know, there is good popcorn in movie plays, right? (laughs) So, just a thought. Um, There are some good ones out there. God's not, God is dead. It's a great one. And uh, the Son of God is another one. Those two are really worth your time and your money. But uh, it's just, it's sad. But an atheist, it'll be very hard for an atheist to tell a Bible story. And the guy that wrote it's an atheist. So that alone turned me off from the movie itself. Didn't they say they didn't take any license with it? No, they said they did take license with it. After all the controversy came out, they originally said they did not take license with it. But then after all the controversy came out, they came back and said, oh, by the way, this has some creative license. Yeah, well, yeah, remove God from the whole thing. (laughs) It's uh, interesting. That's not what we're here for, but I just thought I'd throw that commercial at you just for fun. We are in uh, chapter 11, week 11 of our study, The Story. I have really enjoyed this. I hope you have. I'm getting a a good overview of the scripture as we go along. You're going to get your major events, major characters uh, as you go through. What I love about it is that when you're trying to put a sermon together and there's so much material, (laughs) it's hard hard to... zero in on just one or two things. So uh, bear with us. We may not cover the parts you want, but uh, that's for a later discussion. A.W. Tozier is an uh, author and theologian, and he said this, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending upon her concept of God. I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. Do you think it's really that simple that the really the problem that we have, the number one challenge that we face, it isn't our culture, it's how we perceive God. It's a lack of understanding of how great and how big he is. And if we just had a different perspective of who God is, it would change everything that we have going on in our life. How many of you have ever moved at one time in your life? All right. 
How many of you got boxes to move with? And how many of you got all sizes of boxes? Sure. And did you tend, early on in the game, did you tend to get the bigger boxes because it would hold more stuff? Only to find out that that really wasn't the best thing to do because you get so much stuff in there, it's hard to carry, it's hard to move. So they came out with these different size boxes and the medium box. Now, I'm not sure about if you do, but I do. I love the medium box. Because the medium box, you can put just enough in there. I can get my arms all the way around it. I can get my arms under I can carry those boxes. Sometimes, depending on what's in it, I can carry two of them at one time. Now, if I had Derek with me, we'd have five, six at a time. I mean, he'd have them on each arm. He'd just be carrying them out, right? That's right. Big T, uh, he says, move, and the boxes move themselves. It's amazing. It's amazing. I have a feeling that most of us have a medium-sized box and like it. And that's the box that we put God in. Because it's a box that's not too big. It's not so big that we can't handle it. It's not so big that we can't put our arms around it. It's really big enough in our thought process, in our mind, but it's not too big that we can't manage what's in the box. And a lot of us, we were handed a box. Maybe by a family member, maybe by a church denomination, and we were told, well, here's the box that you get, and here's the box that has your God in it, and don't let him out of that box. But I'm hoping that as we study today in our story, that we're going to find that we can't box God in. That our box is too small. God is too great. And we can't put Him in a box. We want to keep Him small enough, however, that's most of us, we want to keep Him small enough that we can manage Him, handle Him, fit Him where we want Him to fit. But if your God fits in a box, then your God is way too small. And here's why that makes a difference. If you have a small God that fits in a box, then you will inevitably live a life where there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, because your God isn't big enough to help you. Your God isn't big enough to talk to you about your problems, and your, your God isn't big enough to come through for you. And if you live your life with a God that's small enough to fit in a box, then inevitably you're going to find that life is mundane. It's kind of boring. It's predictable because you don't have a God that's big enough to give you a challenge, big enough to call you to a risk. You don't have a God that's big enough to use you to make some kind of significant impact in the life of somebody else. If your God is small enough to fit in a box, then what's going to happen is challenges are going to feel overwhelming. Situations in life are going to feel hopeless because your God isn't big enough to fix them, to heal them, to redeem them. Your God isn't big enough to come into what seems like a hopeless situation and bring hope. So it's impossible that... that we can put God in a box. And, and maybe the better question is, have we? Have you and I put God in a box? We've said, God, we want you to fit in this space alone. I don't want you to get too big in my life. I want you to be just right over here 
But as we've studied so far, we realize that that's not true. God, He's not in a box. He wants to be a big God for you, but we oftentimes make Him too small. We have all kinds of ways that we label the box so we try to put God in. We say, okay, God, we want you to fit into this box labeled, God could never use me after what I've done box. Or maybe God doesn't work that way anymore box. Or we've never done it before like that at our church box. I don't have any special gifts box. Well, I hear that one all the time. We have all kinds of ways of limiting God's power. But we should never limit His power because He wants to glorify and be glorified through what we do. And when it's big enough, only He can get it done. Right? Only He can get it done. So as we've read through the story, there's just been one example after another of how big God is. And I, it, it, and I love that's what this story is about. It's what his story is about. It's about the bigness, the greatness, the glory of God. And we look at situations and we, sell, and we may say, hey, it's too late. It's too late. God says, no, I'm just about ready to do my best work. We look at people and we say, they're too broken. God says, watch me put them back together. We look at a person who seems so insignificant and God says, that's the person that I'm going to choose to change everything. And I hope what happens as we continue this study and this journey is that we will say, I don't want to put God in a box. I just want us as a church to flat get rid of the box altogether. Because you never, ever know. What God might do if we do that. Now who would have thought six months ago that we'd have young people leading our worship service? Wouldn't it be awesome if one of them decided in the next fifth Sunday month that they were going to actually preach? Watch out. Watch out. Mm -mm -mm. Now they're all going, ain't no way, ain't no way. Don't put God in a box. Don't put God in a box. Oh, I was a big time football player in Wichita Falls, Texas. Back then, back then your your school division, you were the whole state state champion. Not now they have two. They have a north and a south. But we were the whole state state champions. Oh man, I had it going. I was ready to roll. Football was on my horizon, on my radar. Grant Taft was the new head coach at Baylor. One of the alumni was a dad for one of the, one of the kids on our team, and he had he had been recruiting me to go to, to play uh, at Baylor because of the t- they ran the type of offensive defense that we would run, and I was tailor made for the offensive line and defensive line. I couldn't wait to go. The call never came. He kept saying, "Oh, Grant Taft's going to call you. He's going to call you. He's going to call you." And right about a month before I was supposed to go to Bible college. I was reading the sports page, which I didn't very, do very often, but I was reading the sports page. Because in Texas, you know, it's hard to read. If it's not in pictures, you don't really understand it anyway. <laughs> but I got the picture of this one. His name was Wilson Wheatley. Wilson Wheatley came out of Brenham, Texas. Now, I have no idea where Brenham, Texas is. I don't really want to know. All I know is that Wilson Wheatley came out of Brenham, Texas. Wilson Wheatley was six foot six. 325 pounds. Now, in 1973, that was a big individual. 
<laughs> and guess who would get to block Wilson Wheatley? Not me. I'm going to Bible college, brother. <laughs> but my God would have been able had I gone. I wouldn't have had any problem getting low on him. Because <laughs> I was already there. But never tell God no. Because, see, I kept telling God, no, I don't want to preach. No, I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. There's no money in this. Come on. Because, you know, you're 16, 17 years old. You're ready to get out of high school, go make money, play in college ball, then pros. I, I mean, I had it all mapped out. I was going to play football, and then I was going to for college, and then, then I knew the Cowboys would recruit me and let me take over Bob Lilly's spot, number 74. That's the number I wore. I mean, hey, you know, it was just, it was in the stars. It was ready to roll. <laughs> The closest I got to that was a state championship game where we were the home team and dressed out in the Cowboys locker room. Now, is that not heady for a kid growing up in Texas? Woo! And guess whose locker I picked? I took down his name. I put my name up there. And so when he came back, he would see Phillips, 74. Really? No. I couldn't touch his name on there. But you dream about it. But you know, the more and more I dreamed, the more and more God said, hey, 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 hey. So never say, that's not for me. It may very well be for you. Never say, I, I, there's no way I'll go to a mission field in Africa. Oh, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. No. Lori Ninge graduated with me from Dallas Christian College. And Lori was a big girl. I mean, a big girl. Still is a big woman. Married a young man there in Guatemala, and they uh, run an orphanage in half for years in Guatemala. So never say never. God can use the most unlikely people to do incredible things as long as you don't keep him in a box. Let's just get rid of the box. So what would happen if our concept of God changed? What could he possibly do through this church? What if the box that we have God in is labeled 200 members? <laughs> 200 members, we only got 110 chairs. Where are we going to put the others? Oh, let's have two, three, four, five, twelve services, whatever. The, the going thing right now is for churches not, like ours are to fold into another big church. Because we can't make it. It's what I read yesterday. We can't make it. We're not, we're destined to close the doors if we don't fold into a bigger church and become a multi-site satellite church of one of these big mega churches. And the boy will pipe himself in on video up front. Because he can't be everywhere at the same hour. And we laugh. There are over 3,000 churches every year. Close their doors. We can be one, or we can trust God with something so big that we can't even imagine it. See, so why can't we have a Friday night service? Why can't we have a Saturday night service? Why can't we have three, four, five services on Sunday? Yeah. God, you know what? We may have to have two or three worship teams. We may have to have a whole bunch more servers. We may have to, oh my goodness. How many donuts would we have to buy, preacher? Well, I don't know. 
Let's just have our own donut shop. Why not? I mean, they're putting Starbucks in churches. Why not bring a donut shop? <laughs> Draw a bigger crowd. If you had both of them, oh, Lord, have mercy. So what walls do we have? And if God is actually working in it, He's going to say, hey, you know what? 200, that's just the beginning. My goodness. We're going to bust this place open. We're going to move to another new location. We're going to have multi-site. You see what I'm saying? But so many of us, inside ourselves, we'd never do it outwardly because we don't want anybody to think that we're not on board here. But most of us inside fold our arms and go, <laughs> that boy's lost his mind. He's getting so old, he's forgot who he is. He's getting so, so cranky that he's forgotten where we live. We're in jinx. They don't have big churches in jinx. Really? Okay. I mean, after all, a 20-minute drive, you can be at a big church anywhere. you got about 30 of them to choose from. 15, 20-minute drive. How many of you have been to those? Yeah, you know. Those are the ones you walk in and nobody knows who you are. Absolutely, they don't have any idea who you are. It's dark. It's like at a concert. It's awesome. Music is unbelievable. Believable. I thought, amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I needed that twice today, by the way. She came back and she said, oh, they sang my song. I said, no, they didn't. You didn't sing it. She said, well, I got another one. I said, no, no, no. You go sing that song. Amen. So, chapter 11 of our story, or 1 Samuel chapter 16, we pick up the life of David. He's, he's uh, anointed to be uh, the, king, the new king of Israel. Uh, he's probably about 14, 15, the age of some of these guys. Oh, and by the way, some of these guys are starting to drive now. I just want to give you that heads up. Don't walk on the sidewalks anymore. You, you, walk out in the street to be safer. 14 or 15, they're really good drivers as long as their parents are in, in, within view. I've watched them. They're great. So he's going to be anointed the next king of Israel, and he's about this age. And he's working as in a, in a tremendous family job. His job was one of the most highly sought-after jobs of any family member that he had. He had... I think there were six, seven brothers ahead of him. They, they, all, they all were clamoring to get the job that David had in the family. Anybody know what he was doing? He was a shepherd. <laughs> shepherd. Actually, it's the lowest job you could ever have. It'd be like you having to clean the toilet at your house at least once a week. Now, some of you, that'd be a new chore for you. Some of you would have to put gloves on, clothespin on your nose, and all that stuff. And you wonder how your mother can do it and do it all the time. Well, if she didn't, she'd get sick. Got to clean. Got to clean, got to clean, got to clean. But the shepherd was not the highly recruited job, highly anticipated job that everybody wanted. I mean, after all, what'd you do if you were a shepherd? 
He wants sheep. And sheep are really, really, really stupid. We usually say it in a nicer way, but you can't say something nice. They're dumb. If one of them decides to go off the cliff, the rest of them go, let's go too. That's why the Bible calls us sheep. Hmm. Wow. Watching sheep. Well, that, that was, you know what else he did? He would sing. He, he loved writing music. He loved to do music. So he'd sing. And, uh, and he learned how to throw a slingshot. I mean, after all, what are you going to do all day long? Why are you sitting there watching sheep? He's watching sheep. They'd move 10 feet and he'd watch some more. And then they'd move back 10 feet and he'd watch some more. And then they'd move 10 feet and he'd watch some more. And they'd move back 10 feet and watch. And they'd, and they'd lay down. So you're bored all day long. Can you imagine? No, no Wii, no Nintendo, no any of that stuff. These poor guys would be going crazy up here. They wouldn't know what to do. We'll go out and mow the yard. Oh, no, no, no. How about I go wash the car? Are you kidding me? Oh, my gracious. Yeah. Pick up the clothes in your room. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's why we have doors on, on rooms. Amen. Just keep the door shut. Never know what's going on in there. So he learned how to watch sheep. He learned how to do music. And he learned how to throw a slingshot. Yeah. First Samuel 16. He's sitting around watching. Slinging. Singing. But it's really a significant day. It's a significant day for Samuel. Because the prophet Samuel is coming to their house. And it's a big deal because the seven brothers are all at the house. And they're candidates for this new job that Samuel's coming to fill called the new king of Israel. So they're all ready to go. Jesse, the dad, knows he's coming. Knows why he's coming. So he's got the seven ready to go. Number eight's out watching sheep, singing and slinging. That's what he's doing. But they're ready to go. They've got their best dress on. They have their resumes in line. They are ready to be selected. Game time. Samuel shows up. Looks in verse 6. And he says, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. <laughs> now how would he know? How did he know? Is he the Simon Cowell of the, of the uh, priesthood movement back then? Some of you are going, who's Simon Cowell? Okay, well, if I've got to explain it to you, it's no fun. But you see, Samuel looks at the first son and he is impressed. Guy's got his robe pressed just right, got the right edges on the pleats. I mean, resume's immaculate, hair's blown into place. You know, he just does this and it just kind of, it's kind of like he's in slow motion and there's little sunlights coming out from behind his head. And Samuel's just overwhelmed. He goes, this is God's anointed. Surely this is the man. But God looks at Samuel and he says, no. And Samuel's saying, but this is exactly the type of person I've been looking for. And we know that's what you're looking for. And look what God says in verse 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. 
So God's telling Samuel, you're looking at the outward appearance. You're looking for that first impression moment. But I'm looking at the heart and I've rejected this one. So Samuel works his way down the line. He gets to the last one and doesn't get a confirmation from God. Now it gets real awkward. <laughs> you know, he's been through seven and seven's the perfect number. The heavenly number, and my goodness, I should have at least one by number seven. Amen? But I don't. And so now it's awkward, and he doesn't know what to say. And Jesse's kind of shuffling his feet on the floor, and he doesn't know what to say either as the dad, and he's just kind of embarrassed. And so Samuel says, is there anybody else? And Jesse says, well, I've got a younger son. He's the youngest. And if you literally translate that Hebrew word, youngest, it means runt. So what Jesse was saying was, yeah, I've got another one, but he's the runt of the litter. Now, how many of you have ever adopted a runt of the litter? They're the ugliest dog. They're the smallest dog in a litter. They don't look right. They don't act right. And yet, why do we pick them? Because we think we're going to rescue that dog. We're going to turn that dog around. That dog's going to be a powerful dog for God. Amen? So, the runt is brought in. Samuel says, go get him in verse 12. Rise and anoint him, Samuel says. He is the one. And on that day, David is anointed the new next king of Israel. Again, probably a freshman in high school when this happens. So, if we're putting together David's life story, I want to give you two chapters. There could be more, but two. And the first one is, God's anointing, he can use anybody. That's your first fill-in on your outline. God's anointing, he can use anybody. And he oftentimes uses those that we would not expect him to use. I mean, look at me. (laughs) Yeah. If God can use me, he can use you. The verse, the story I found in the Bible that really helped me more than anything to be a good preacher was when God used Balaam's donkey to preach. You know, if God can use a donkey, he might be able to use me. He might be able to use you. But he can use anybody whose heart is open and available. God's anointing, he can use anybody. That would be the first chapter I'd want you to focus on. Because see, God looks at things differently. God says, don't put my anointing in a box and tape it shut because I'm going to use people that you don't think I'm going to use. And the person that I'm going to choose isn't the person that you're going to choose. Hmm. So we see with David, it's not always what we would think. David comes on the scene, fresh out of the fields. you got to get this picture. I mean, the brothers are dressed to the nines, right? They've got it all pleated, robed and everything, and hair is blown. And here comes David, smelling like sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've hugged a bunch of sheep, <laughs> you're not the most aromatic person in the... Well, maybe you are. You certainly have a certain air about you. There's no doubt about that. So David comes on, and he's very casual, probably in flip-flops, I'm sure. Cut off jeans. 14, 15 years old. All the other brothers, they start looking at him. He's inexperienced. What's he, what's he got to offer? He's just a punk. He's a runt. What's he got to offer? Some of us say, well, you know what? I'm too old. Really? Remember Abraham and Sarah? <laughs> God chose this elderly and fertile couple to populate a nation. Well, I'm too guilty. Hey, remember Rahab, who was a prostitute living in Jericho that God chooses to use for his purposes? Well, I'm too scared. Remember Gideon, 
God comes up when he's hiding from his enemies and calls him a mighty warrior. Well, it's just too hard. Given the circumstances of my life and the situation that I'm in, things are much more complicated than they used to be. And it's just too hard. Remember Joseph? He had to go from being a slave to being a prisoner and then to become the vice president of Egypt. And so this is the story. God can use anybody, and we'll just continue to see it as we go through our our studies uh, over the next several weeks. He chooses the poor teenage girl named Mary from a small town, chooses a sinful tax collector named Matthew, everybody written him off, chooses a fiery fisherman named Peter who always (coughs) spoke way too soon, chooses a persecutor of the Christians named Saul to write most of the New Testament. You see, he can use anybody. He might even be able to use you. Theologian Carl Henry, commenting on the next generation of Christian leaders, said this, Many of them are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be a great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up C.S. Lewis and Charles Colson, who were once unbelievers? The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish on his bumper. And the next Charles Wesley might be a profane womanizing hip-hop artist right now. And the next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house at the moment. And the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic today. You see, you don't know who God's going to use to do a mighty thing. But if you keep him in a box, I can assure you he won't get anything done. You know, God, you're just not going to use somebody like me. Really? Really? Have you not been paying attention? To the people that God's chosen to use so far in our story. Don't put his anointing in a box and tape it shut. God will use whoever he wants to use. He can use anybody. And no one thought David would be the one. And yet God said he's my choice. So the next chapter of David's life would probably be described like this. Second point on your outline. God's opportunities. He can do anything. He can do anything. You keep reading in David's life, and after he's anointed the king, he initially goes back to being a shepherd, slinging rocks and singing songs. But he's anointed as king. Don't you think he probably thought while he's out in the field, hey, God, when are you going to move me up? When do I get to take over? When do I get to be in charge? When do I get to do all of that? <laughs> and in chapter 16, we read that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Saul is left feeling depressed and overwhelmed with fear, and one of his attendants reminds them of this young son of Jesse who was pretty good with music. And Saul says, well, bring him in. Let's see what he can do. And so he brings him in. And Saul and David form a close relationship with each other because the music as David played, it calmed Saul's soul. Music will do that, will it not? It will do it. The right kind of music, yes. Now, you can get the kind that makes you bang your head on the wall, too. But the right kind of music can sure make your heart calm down. Chapter 17, David's about 18 now, not 20, not old enough to fight. But his dad, Jesse, calls him from the field one day and says, Hey, David, the Israelites are fighting. And by the way, this is a loose translation of what he said. David, the Israelites are fighting. The Philistines, your brothers are out there. Go check on them. I know they're hungry. Take them some pizza. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure that's what he said, but go see your brothers and encourage them. Give them some food to eat. David goes out to the battlefield where the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. And he gets there and there's no fighting going on. Instead, he comes up on the scene and this giant named Goliath mocking the armies of God. 
And the Philistines have challenged the Israelites and they've said, look, here's what we want to do. We will put our best warrior Goliath against your best warrior. And whoever wins this cage match, <laughs> well, it wasn't David, what's it? whoever wins, then the other nation becomes slaves to the victorious nation. So David hears this giant mocking the armies of God. And the Bible says in verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They were afraid. They were scared to death. Like I was when I read that Wilson Wheatley had graduated the same year I did. And he went to the University of Houston, by the way. And he started his freshman year in college at the University of Houston and went on to play for the Cincinnati Bengals in the pro, pro ranks. I was ever so grateful that I went to Bible college because my life expectancy grew once I did that. But look what David says in verse 26. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That, he's, that he is allowed and that he would be allowed to talk this way. That he would be allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Who is this giant? Who does he think he is? Somebody needs to shut him up. Verse 32. Saul, don't worry about the Philistines. David says to Saul, I'll go fight him. Saul's like, really? Don't you, you play the harp. I mean... Really? Verse 33. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. You can't do it. Then Saul says, well, here's my, here, if you're going to do this, here's my armor. Wear it. They put it on. He goes, you know, this doesn't feel right. So he goes out there with his sling and some rocks. And finally the opportunity comes for David. And I'm sure for years he's felt like he was wasting his time in the fields as a shepherd singing songs and slinging rocks. But what happened? What does God use? God uses David to sing songs in chapter 16 and to sling a rock in chapter 17. So God uses what David, I'm sure, didn't think he could use. While David is out there thinking, well, shouldn't I be preparing? Isn't there a special class for kings that I should be going to? I mean, God is at work this whole time using David, getting him ready to open the door for an opportunity. And so David goes out to fight Goliath. Goliath sees him coming. He says, you little boy, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. Verse 45, David says, you come to me with spear and a, a spear and a sword and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will cut you, I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people, and not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give it, give you to us. We will take siege of the people that need Jesus and we need to go get them. Well, now, boy, you've done gone from preaching to meddling up there, preacher. Mm-hmm. You expecting us to do something. I figured it's going to come down to us having to do something while you don't do nothing. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is y'all need to get with it and I'm just going to sit back and watch. Really? How about if I lead the fight? Who are you inviting to church? I'm developing a friendship and relationship with a man that's an agnostic. 
He said, I'm not sure I believe in God. But he told me the other day, he said, you know what? The more I get to know you, that if, if I ever went to church, I'd like to come to your church. I said, man, come and lean forward because you can just sleep like the rest of them. They're doing really well at it. <laughs> because, see, that's what's wrong with us. We're still asleep. Even though our eyes are open, we're still asleep because we've put God in a box and we're afraid to let him out. David, he didn't have God in a box. And I love how this ends. David, David approaches Goliath and the Bible says that he ran to Goliath. He runs to him. I love the commercial where it's got the storm clouds on the horizon and then it shows our soldiers running full speed toward the storm clouds. You see, some people don't run from the attack. They take the attack. David ran to the attack. He ran to Goliath because he was ready to fight because it was God's fight and he was ready to win. Saul back in verse 11 is terrified and scared. They had put God in a box, how small God is to them. They had been consumed with fear because they always were asking the what if questions. What if Goliath wins? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? What if the economy doesn't recover? What if there's, what if it's cancer? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if there's another terrorist attack? What if the next tornado gets a little closer to my house? What if, what if, what if? And when your God lives in a small box, what if will dominate your life? When you get him out of the box, you're not going to say what if. You're going to say how come. Here we come. Here we come. David doesn't see the what if of the situation. He sees who is in the situation. It's not David versus Goliath. It's God versus Goliath. And in verse 33, Saul says to David, it can't be done. This is ridiculous. And David says, oh, yes, it can. Oh, yes, it can. The Lord will do this. The Lord will do this. And everyone on that day sees the great giant Goliath and the opposition. But David sees something different. He sees God. He sees how big God is. And he knows this much about his God that God can do anything. 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 So you just read through the story and you see how God works. And you say, well, it's, it's, it's kind of a coincidence. Was it a coincidence that Samson just got put between those two support poles? Was it just coincidence that Joseph was in prison with the cupbearer to the Pharaoh? Was it just a coincidence that Ruth goes out and she happens to find herself in the fields of Boaz gathering food? Is that all just coincidence? You see, God uses anyone to do anything because He can do that. David didn't know he was training at the time. And you may not know that you're training at this time because God is training you for something later. Maybe the way we're mostly, most likely to put God in a box is when it comes to God's timing because God didn't fit into our calendar and we keep thinking, God, I'm going to run out of time. God, I'm going to run out of time. God, I'm going to run out of time. I've been wrestling with that of late. I told the Sunday school class this morning, I'm 58 years old and I'm looking at, at am I supposed to retire? Should I move on? Should I, what, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm struggling. I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling. Have I lost effectiveness? Because what I say, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's falling on deaf ears or not. I don't see hearts that are open and fertile. I don't see people bringing people. Church will not grow if you don't bring them. Well, well we, we don't associate with anybody. They don't go to church somewhere. They can start. Start going to a coffee shop. Go to a restaurant. Go somewhere and find somebody that doesn't know Jesus and bring them. 
It's what you're supposed to do. It's what you're supposed to do. Great place to find them is at Starbucks Coffee. Coffee's okay. If you like coffee, it's great. But for those of us that don't really like coffee, it's okay. But it smells fun in there. But there's a lot of people that come in Starbucks that need to find Jesus. I find people down at Hugo's that, want to come, that need to find Jesus. I keep finding them at McDonald's because in the drive-thru I ask them, do you go to church? <laughs> See, they don't have to. I force myself to go into Reese's. But I still ask them all the time. And most of them know who I am anyway. You see, Psalm 27, David understood. Take courage and wait on the Lord. It takes a lot of courage to do that. 2 Samuel 5, 4. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned over Israel for 40 years. So let me ask you. Do you believe that God can use anybody to do anything at any time? Do you believe that? Would you say amen? Amen. Good. See, the basic problem with Christians and with the church today is an unworthy concept of God. Or maybe let me put it this way. It's that our God is too small. So here's what I would say. If your God's job description reads, make my life more comfortable and convenient, then your God's too small. If your God says things to you like, well, don't take a risk, play it safe, then your God is too small. If your God's job is to obey you and do what you want, when you want uh, want Him to do it, if your God is a genie that exists to grant your wishes, then your God is too small. If your God operates on your timetable, if you keep His calendar, then your God is too small. If your God is a white guy with a closet full of suits and ties, if your God loves Americans more than He loves Iranians, if your God is always saying come but never saying go, then your God is too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your plans, if your God never asks you to do something that isn't in the budget, if your God never needs a certain precedent to be in office to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in this nation, then God is way too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with tears because of His grace or taken away your breath because of His power, your God is too small. My breath was taken away when, the, when Pat said the doctor came out and told her when we put the valve in, it went from 15% to 75%. Wow! Really? The man was near death. And now, and now, we're all sitting back going. Because God did what He does all the time. When your eyes open in the morning, guess what? He's giving you a second chance. Better take advantage of it. Better take advantage of it. And remember, it's not about you. If your God always agrees with you and always thinks your opinions and preferences are the most reasonable, if He always likes what you happen to like, if your God is Baptist, if your God is Methodist, if your God is a Lutheran, if your God is a Catholic, if your God is and you fill in the blank, then your God is too small. If your God is just fine, it's just fine just spending an hour with you a week in church, your God's too small. If your God says, oh, you've worked hard enough on your marriage, I just want you to be happy now, your God's too small. If your God looks at your sin of greed, of lust, of gossip, and He says, well, it's no big deal, you're doing better than most people, your God's too small. If your God says your marriage is too messed up, your family too fractured, if your God says you're too young, you're too old, you're too broken, you're too poor, you're too late, you're too guilty, God is too small in your life. If your God fits nicely into a box, then that's not God. 
Open it up. Open it up and find out He's not even in the box. Because God doesn't do boxes. You can't put Him in there. <laughs> so what we want to do in the next few minutes is we want to just be reminded of the bigness and greatness of God. Grab somebody and let's pray together. Oh God, You are awesome. And so easily, God, we get our eyes on a situation that is right in front of us and the circumstances that seem to surround us. And Lord, what we're facing today or this week or this month or this season in life, it just feels overwhelming. We find ourselves responding very much like Saul and the other Israelites and we're, we are shaken deeply. So God, would you allow us in these next few moments to gain the perspective of David who comes on the scene. He looks at the giant and he says, who in the world does this guy think he is? And Lord, would you take our eyes off our challenge, off the opposition, off our struggle, off our temptation. And Lord, would you put our eyes on you? And would you help us declare in these next few moments that you are great and mighty and powerful? Lord, would you act? Would you move? Would you fight for us for your glory? Lord, I pray that we would not just read the story and read the Bible, but that those stories would be told of us. Not of who we are. Not that it's David versus Goliath, but it's you versus whatever it is that we're going through in our life. Our faith. And that our confidence would be in You. God, right now, there are some in this room who are waiting. And they feel like they've been waiting. And they feel like You're running late. And when you're not go- that, that, that You're just not going to show up in their life. Would You, God, in the next few moments, remind them that You are God? God, don't let us think of You as a God that is so small that You need to do what we ask when we ask. But Lord, would You help us put our confidence, our faith, and our trust in You. You are strong. We are weak. Lord, You know everything. We know nothing. We humble ourselves before You, God. We declare our our dependence on You. And we know that there is no victory. There is no way that we win unless You are the one who does the battle on our behalf. So God is a church. We don't want a bigger box. We want to blow the box up. You are a great and a powerful God, and yet you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song.